Good morning. I'm Tracy. I'm Blake's wife. I'm a high school art teacher over at Westfields. And I'll be reading to you from Matthew 22, 1 through 14, the parable of the wedding feast. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but would they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized their servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there was a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. The king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Tracy. Good morning, everybody. During worship there, we were talking about the, uh, the worship and testimony night, and my, uh, my brother Jay Rousey, he leaned over and he said, hey, how did you guys manage to get Chick-fil-A on Sunday? That's a, that's a paradox, isn't it? But it's a cedar-run miracle, okay? Now, you don't want to miss the worship and testimony night and miss a miracle now, do you? I'll see you guys at 5 o'clock for dinner, okay? Go ahead and open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 22. Go ahead and park them there. Now, anytime that you study Scripture, the first thing you need to know, the first thing you have to think about when you look at the text is, who is the audience? So who is Jesus talking to here? So when it says at the very beginning, and again Jesus spoke to them, who is the them? They're the chief priests. They are the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who had come to Jesus just a few chapters ago. And they had said to him, by whose authority are you doing these things? So the translation from the Greek there is, who do you think you are? So these are the religious people of Jesus' day and age. They're actually a sliver of the religious people that are really entitled. They had a huge superiority complex because they were at the top of the religious food chain. Uh, and they felt that they were pretty moral and upright. They were decent people. 
Uh, they knew their scripture. They knew their doctrine. They never missed a religious ceremony or gathering. Uh, and Jesus, uh, while, while, while they're doing their thing, Jesus is running around and he's teaching and he's preaching and he's healing and he's doing all sorts of miracles. He's talking about grace and he actually has the nerve to forgive people. And the Pharisees and the committee boards and the board chairs, they all come up and say, who are you to be doing all this? And Jesus says to them, he might have said this, okay? He says, you know what? You guys remind me a little bit about a story. <laughs> a story about a king who had a wedding feast for his son. But when the invitations went out, not everybody was excited about it. Now, there's a, mis a common misconception I want to clear up with you guys about this parable. The wedding feast is not just about getting into heaven, okay? The kingdom of heaven is synonymous with the kingdom of God throughout Scripture. So this is about the kingdom of God that starts with Jesus. And it's about a kingdom of God lifestyle through Jesus and the gospel and enjoying the riches of that gospel. So this morning we're going to look at three preparations we need to make before we attend the feast, okay? We need to first show up. That's a good start, right? Secondly... We need to eat up while we're there. And lastly, we need to dress up. So we need to show up, eat up, and dress up. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for your word. It's richness and fullness, Lord, how it dissatisfies every longing of our soul, every hunger that we have, Lord. I pray you, Holy Spirit, would be here behind these words, Lord, melting hearts, opening eyes, and opening ears, Lord, so we can understand the gospel what you've done for us, Jesus, on the cross that we never have before. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so first, we got to show up to the wedding, don't we? And who shows up, right? So to show up, you have to be invited. You have to have an invitation. Uh, and there are two kinds of people in this story that get invited. We'll call them the insiders and the outsiders for simplicity. And we're going to spend most of our time on the insiders because that is who Jesus is telling this story to. Listen to what it says in verse 3. The king sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Now, this is interesting because the servants went to call those who had been invited so the invitation had already gone out. They knew the wedding was happening. They knew they were invited. And this is the call that now it's time to attend because they didn't have like Apple calendars back then. So this is like their ways going off. Say, if you want to get there at the right time because of what's happening on I-66, you need to leave now. That's essentially what that is. So there's an invitation that they already had in their hand and a call. And Jesus is alluding to something here. Because Scripture had set out over many centuries that a Savior would come. That there was a date set in heaven, and that invitation had been sent to God's people, Israel. But they would not come. So this goes to show how many times God's people can just take a pass. Now, there would be plenty of believers, plenty of Jewish people in that age that did come because we know from Scripture alone that many Jewish Christians attended church. So being an insider in this sense wasn't fatally bad, but it had its dangers. Let's see what happened here in verse 5 and 6. The imitation they had, they get a call, and here's what happens. But they paid no attention and went off. 
one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. So it says in the first part, though, let's look at that. They paid no attention and went off. And there wasn't really any regret on their part. It was just kind of like the, the ease in which we blow off church sometimes. You know, one went to his farm. Maybe that was the only day they could go to Whole Foods that week. <clears throat> Maybe uh, somebody had to go to, uh, to uh, work and finish a contract that had to be done, right? One went to his business. But it just showed a lack of loyalty to the king. And that it was really, between them and the king, it was really just an external relationship. It wasn't heart deep. And one other thing that it showed it was they didn't really care about the son of the king either because that's who the celebration was about. The whole feast was to celebrate the wedding of the son. Who do you think the son is in this story? It's Jesus. Then it says, so they ignore him first. Then it says that others arrested and killed the servants. They seized and killed the servants. So underneath this seeming indifference, there's a real hostility. It's not just indifference. If you go deep enough, there's a hostility to it. And we have to be careful because there's times that we get convicted of God's word ourselves, but we react in hostility. You know, and you might say, what does this all have to do with me? We're talking about people from thousands of years ago. Listen, my friends, we are the insiders now. We really are. We are God's people today. We can be the people that say, I'm coming to the feast. You know, you may have your Cedar Run baptismal certificate suitable for framing. We may have even had cake, okay? That's an important part of our ecclesiology here at Cedar Run. But you've given your life in a formal, insider type of way. But in your heart, there may be no feasting. There may be no delight in the son in whom the king is celebrating, so it's still all external. So there's really no coming to the feast in that sense. And the indifference that we saw, it's not really indifference. It's actually a way that we subtly blow off God. Nobody can tell me how to run my life. And listen, maybe that's not us. But we have to admit that it could be. We have to be careful when we say things, especially like, at least I'm not like that. Because who says something like that? One of the Pharisees that Jesus is talking about, he's standing in synagogue, and the, guy, and the tax collector in the back is praying. And to the Pharisee, this guy's a, a, a horrible sinner. And he says, at least I'm not like that tax collector. What happens is that attitude winds up in harassing prophets and plotting against Jesus. So the first group gets a call. They don't go. In fact, they react violently. What about this second group? So we talked about the insiders. Let's talk about the outsiders just for a second now. They get the call, and what happens? So verses 9 and 10, Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good, so the wedding hall was filled with guests. That second group in Jesus' time represents the Gentiles. They were not part of the Jewish nation. They were not the original part of God's family and God's people. And I would say the closest amalgam to that today, if we're the insiders here, then the outsiders are those people outside of the church. But the point I want to make, though, is that nobody comes to the feast unless they're called. 
You can't come to the feast unless you're called. And not only that, the call isn't going to be enough. The invitation is not going to be enough. You have to respond to the call. You have to partake of the feast. So we talked a little bit about showing up. We get the invitation, we get the call, and we go. That's our first preparation. The second preparation this morning is we need to eat up. So we show up, and now it's time to eat up. Let's go to the feast itself. And here, and this is what the gospel really is. It is meant to be a feast. It's God's gift of mercy and grace and forgiveness. And it's not a one-and-done meal. The gospel turns tasting and topless and the little bits of scripture that the Pharisees knew, and it brings it alive. It turns it into a smorgasbord. The son has been married to his bride, the church, and now we celebrate. That's what this wedding feast represents in history. It's a celebration of the gospel. One of the examples of that is our communion. We partake in communion and remember that. It's about the gospel in our lives. And it's the gospel that unlocks it all. So imagine being at the banquet hall. You've been at weddings before, but this is the most extravagant banquet hall ever with all kinds of food that you just want to get into, right? Let's go over to the table of grace, you know. Look how Jesus accepts us despite our sin because of what he did. Let's go over to these blessings over here. Our identity is in Jesus. I don't have to worry about how many likes I have in social media. God and Jesus love me infinitely. Or maybe over here, let's go to the table of mercy. Man, you should have been punished, right? That was what really was meant for us. Don't eat that dish in the back. That's the punishment dish. That's not for you. But taste the mercy. How about some forgiveness? Look at all that forgiveness spread out. Seven times 77, we're just getting started. Look how often God has forgiven you and taken you back. This is the feast that you were invited to. And the doors to the hall of the banquet are open every single day. All in the presence of the glory of the king and his son. But there's a problem. There's a problem though. And the problem is that we're not eating. We've got eating disorders when it comes to the wedding feast. And we all do these things, okay? We all have a touch of these disorders, okay? Here's the first eating disorder we have. We accept the invitation. We show up at the feast and we eat of the incredible gospel cuisine. But then we never eat again. We never eat again. We spend the rest of our spiritual lives hungering for what it tasted like when we first got saved. And it's like an iron deficiency. We're lacking the experience of grace. We don't know what it means anymore. We don't know what mercy is anymore. That's the first deficiency we have, the first disorder. Here's the second eating disorder. Because we can eat. Other times we can eat, okay? But we don't get the full menu. We don't experience everything in the banquet hall because we're hunched over our plates by ourselves. We eat alone. That's a disorder in God's kingdom. You need to be at this feast with a friend in a discipleship relationship with a brother or sister. You need to be in community, in a life group. They can point you to dishes you've never experienced before, ways that the gospel intersects with your life that you never would have thought of without this person. Different attributes of the gospel, right there for the taking. It can be right on your plate. We're in the fog of our hunger and starvation. We can't see it, but a brother or sister can point it out to us. These are the people that get us back to the table. 
discipleship relationships, community relationships. We can't see these things on our own, but our brothers and sisters can. And it's interesting here at this feast, though, because it's a very eclectic crowd. It's a very mixed crowd in this banquet hall. Because they come, it says here, Jesus says it comes from both the good and the bad. That's really wild because it's the best of society and the worst of society in the same room. And what that tells us about who's there is that it's not our deeds that gets us the invitation. It's really the Son who made it happen. It was his perfection and death made for us that gets us the invitation to the wedding feast. Without that marriage, none of it would have happened. There would be no feast. And seeing those bad, quote, people there, that would have really torqued off one set of people. That would have really made the insiders angry. Because they've been around the king every day. It's one thing to have good and decent people at the feast. But, you know, those are reputable. What about these bad people? Well, you know what? It's the very sick ones that need the doctor the most. Jesus said that, didn't he? And the worst sinners, who would need a savior more? Who would need to be at that feast more? Who would appreciate the banquet more? Charles Spurgeon said in a sermon once that it's always good to have a beggar at the feast. Because, you know, we're the prim and proper insiders. We know all the procedures and how the traditions go. And we'll sip our tea with a little pinky stuck out. Jolly good, right? We take it for granted, right? But the beggar's going crazy over every dish, right? <laughs> Look at the size of that turkey. <laughs> I've never seen turkey like that before. How about that basket of bread? Non-gluten, okay? But the beggars cheer at every plate, while to us it's kind of like the same old thing. Oh, we're having pizza again? No, we're having Chick-fil-A. Did I mention that? Chick-fil-A on tonight at 5, okay? Are we changed like the beggar, though? Let me ask you this. Are we changed like the beggar? Do we get as excited as the beggar over the mercy of God? Here's a test you can give yourself, okay? Do you think God loves you? And you would say yes. But that's an intellectual answer, okay? Here's what I want to know. Are you amazed by God? Are you enthralled by God? Does he shock you at the level of mercy and forgiveness he's given you? Are you, are you astounded at that? What the Holy Spirit has brought to bear in your life? The grace and the mercy and the forgiveness the incredible sovereignty that he has over your life, his love for you. I can tell you that I'm not astonished enough. And you know what? Here's, here's what happens as insiders, though. We're the insiders, right? We always knew we wind up at the feast. We know we're going to heaven, right? I grew up in the church. I'm a good person. I go and I take communion uh, when it's time, and I don't surf on my phone when Pastor Blake is uh, preaching, right? Better not be. But the outsiders, the beggars, the, uh, the, the repentant sinners, they say, they say, yesterday I was eating out of that dumpster behind the banquet hall. Now I'm inside eating with the king. But there's one more thing you need to do before you sidle up to the buffet, okay? So we talked about showing up. We talked about eating up. And this is probably the thing I probably should have mentioned first, right? Because when you go to a wedding, what do you got to do? You got to dress up, right? That's our last preparation of the morning. What do you wear to a wedding? 
You know, I, did a be- I officiated at a beach wedding once. It was for the son of my longtime FBI partner, so it was really a special occasion. They had it at Outer Banks, on the beach, on a pier. They were begging everybody just to chill out and be casual and comfortable uh, and just, you know, don't sweat getting all dressed up, right? What do you think happened? Everybody came dressed to the nines, right? I mean, the exception was they wore a tuxedo, but they had vans on, so that was dressing casual, all right? But that's just what you do at a wedding. You could tell somebody not to dress up, they're still going to dress up. There's the pageantry of a wedding, and especially a royal wedding, right? The son of the king. I remember my sisters, uh, when I was growing up, when Princess Diana got married, my sisters were like, you know, young preteens, and they got up at like four in the morning to watch the pageantry of the ceremony. But you've got to come to the feast in proper attire. Listen to what it says in verse 11. But when the king came to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. Uh-oh. So on one hand, Jesus is talking to these Pharisees, right? And he's saying, you have to earn it, it seems. And on the other hand, it seems like maybe Jesus is saying, no, you can come to this wedding uh, and not wear it, wear like, you know, casual clothes in your own rags, right? So you either earn it or you can come as you are. Which one is it? What Jesus is saying is, he says, your record means nothing. So you can't earn it. And on the other hand, the king sees this guy who's not dressed properly, so that doesn't matter either. We're going to see what happens to that, that guy. Listen. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's exactly what you think it is. So the earners don't make it to the feast. We see what happened to them earlier in the passage, and neither does the one who just shows up wearing whatever he wants. So you can't earn, and you can't just come as you are. It's the gospel paradox. So how do you get into the feast? The king has to dress you. The king must dress you. The king closes both both the insiders and the outsiders before they can enter the feast. Because at a wedding, nobody shows up unless they're dressed properly. And in Bible times, and there's Bible evidence of this even, that the king actually did provide the garments to people attending a feast. He clothed them so they could be at the feast. That's a traditional thing. God will take anybody, okay? He will but only at his own expense. It's an infinite expense. It's the ultimate destination wedding. His expense is incredibly great and infinite expense. You know what that cost is? It's Jesus. Your record doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether you're an insider or an outsider. It doesn't matter where you were born or how much money you have or what GS level you are. It doesn't matter what your standing is in the community. You come to the wedding feast of the sun, not by being good enough, and not, you know, not by wearing your own accomplishments as your clothes, and you don't come in not caring either and wearing rags. You come in admitting that you're not fit to be there in the first place. You come to the feast admitting you're not good enough to be there. And let the king himself clothe you. One of the great themes of scripture is that our sin is like nakedness in front of God. What did Adam and Eve hide? They were naked. 
They knew they were not presentable to God as they were. So they used a fig leaf to cover up. God replaced that fig leaf with animal skins. So something had to die to cover their sin. God in Ezekiel, he said that his people were like a bloody baby abandoned on the side of the road. And he covered them and gave them life. We cannot, we cannot go to the wedding uncovered. We can't do it. And anything we use to cover ourselves is no better than a fig leaf. But if sin is nakedness, there is a covering for our sin that God needs to provide. It's the garment of grace. That's the wedding garment. It's the garment of grace provided by Jesus. The only way we can stand in front of the king in our sin is in the garment of grace provided by Jesus. He died for our sin so we can be in the presence of the king and partake of the gospel feast. So now that we know what the dress code is, let's see how we try to skirt it as Christians because we're really good at doing stuff like that, okay? You guys might remember from about 20 years ago, uh, the very beginning of reality TV, there was a show, What Not to Wear, right? It was, it was Clinton and Stacy, I think, were the two hosts of the show. They were fashion consultants, and, they're, and people were referred to the fashion consultants by their friends. As these people dress horribly, you've got to fix what they're wearing. So they throw everything in their closet out, teach them what worked for them, what styles worked for them, give them a bunch of money, and they send them out and shop to find out if they learned their lesson or not, right? Results would vary. The truth is for us that even though we've been given a new wardrobe, Sometimes we find ourselves in our old clothes, okay? We can even take our wedding garment off and put it in the coat closet. Revelation uh, 16, 15 says, Jesus tells us, keep your garments on. You don't lose your salvation, okay? But you can like ball it up and stick it in the bottom drawer. So let's pay a little bit of what not to wear ourselves this morning, Okay? Before we start, though, is it completely possible to do this, all right? Here's the first group. The first, se- the first season of what not to wear is the insiders. We've talked to them a little, about them a little bit, right? Born and raised in a church, some insiders, they show up without a wedding garment. So that kind of person will say, you know, I profess the gospel, I'm saved, but there's like no newness of heart. Their life doesn't reflect the gospel. There may be a profession of the word. They may know doctrine inside and outside, but there's no deed to go with the word. And we know that good deeds are always a result of receiving the the garment of salvation. We know that. It's not because of it. We don't earn it. James says, if there's no works, if there's no deeds, then no faith. So you profess to honor the king by coming to the feast, but you come in your own clothes. Matthew 7, 21 says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So that's the insiders. There's a sliver of insiders that, you know, need to be worried. Here's the second season of what not to wear. Secure sinners, okay? We also wear our own clothes as secure sinners. And we only come because we can live more securely in our sin. So I'm forgiven, so what does it matter, right? 2 Timothy 3.5 says they have the appearance of godliness but deny its power. So that's somebody admitting that it's all true. God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit are true. I'm a sinner, but they haven't made a part of their own life. The king came in to look at the guests. We cannot escape his eye. Here's the third season of what not to wear. 
Carhartt Christians. This is something that we like to do. We like our Carhartt clothes, right? Those are the working clothes. You can't destroy them, right? We're out there working hard. These are believers that have the cloak of salvation, okay? They're Christians, but they leave it in the coat check room. And they have their Carhartt heavy-duty clothes on. There's two ways to spot Carhartt Christians at the wedding. The first one is things are going great. The Carhartt Christian thinks that things are going great because they've, lived, they've done so much for God that God is paying them back somehow. That God is, bl- is blessing them because of what they've done. Can you ever put the God of the universe in your debt? Is that possible? It's not. So you, you find out about a Carhartt Christian first. When things are going great, they think that, you know, hey, God's paying me back for this. The other way is when things go wrong. The exact opposite. How could you let this happen to me? All right? I want to be sensitive about this one because this happens to all of us. You look back and you go, look how I've lived my life for you. Look, look at all I've done for you, God. And tragedy strikes. Look, most of the tragedy and our Christian lives have nothing to do with things that we have done or haven't done, okay? The rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. We live in a broken, sinful world, and sometimes we experience those results. But remember grace. Remember it. When you're in those dark times, you're asking that question, why is this happening? Remember grace. Pull the cloak around you, the cloak of Jesus' love and mercy. Hide yourself in his love for you in the storm. So lastly, and here's another one that we're really good at, boho Christians. I made that one up. Bohemian Christians, okay? Like, we got the wedding garment, you know, uh, but oftentimes we swap it out for some, like, boho, chic linen clothes that are really comfortable and maybe some, uh, some very soft ufa sandals, little slide-ons, right? We're rich, uh, everything's good, the 401k's uh, full, things are good, we're living our hashtag best life, right? Retirement is right within grasp. Church, eh, you know, I'm a little bit busy this weekend. Holiness, you know, uh, when I get around to it, maybe. And we can show up at church, right? We can feast whenever we want. We don't need to always be there. But what happens, if you're a boho Christian, you put your wedding garment aside, you can't be in the feast, You lose access to the grace and the mercy that your body needs for spiritual nourishment. Like, look, you're you're still saved, okay? You may still be saved, but you're spiritually emaciated. You only put the garment on when you really mess up. Maybe maybe you get caught in sin or something the Holy Spirit gets to you. You throw that garment back on. Then you gorge yourself at the feast. And that's good. We want you in the feast eating, right? But then after you've gorged yourself, you take the cloak off again. It's binge eating. You binge the feast. So let me ask you, how are you wearing your garment? Is it on you all the time? Are you always wearing it? Is it getting worn out and frayed because you just have it on all the time? Remember my kids' blankies, right? All of our, we always had our, our little toddlers had their blankies, right? It was all frayed and wore out. Your cloak of salvation should be like that, always wrapped around you. Nobody can pry it out of your hand. You try to, like, break them a blankie, all that, the war is on, right? That wedding garment should be pulled tight around you. Let me ask you another question. Are you feasting at the gospel? Is it a daily feast? 
Are you taking your sin on a daily basis and offering it up to God and getting that forgiveness and that grace and that mercy? There's one more person I want to talk about before I close today, okay? Whatever happened to the man who wasn't wearing the wedding garment? Verse 13 says, Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I've read that verse twice. There's a reason the Holy Spirit had me read it twice this morning. Maybe this is you. Look into your heart. If you're sitting here, you've never worn the gospel garment of grace. If you've never worn the wedding garment. You may even understand who the king is. You may see the incredible feast. But without the covering of Christ, the king will not have you. He won't. How do you change that? Admit to the king right now that you don't deserve to be in the feast that he needs to dress you, beg him to dress you, ask for the garment of salvation. We're sitting here naked right now, naked on our sin. There's no fig leaf that can cover us. Whether it's project runway quality or not, that fig leaf, if it's a designer fig leaf, it's not gonna work. Nothing you sew together can cover you. Only Jesus can. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for your word, Lord. I pray, Lord, that for somebody here who's never taken on your grace uh, as their covering, Lord, never been covered, their sin never been covered by you, that today would be the day that they just ask, cover me. Just ask that right now in your seat, cover me, Lord Jesus. We thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you for your ways. We thank you for the depth of the gospel, the breadth of the feast, so that we can go in every day, Lord. Let us not make it a one-and-done meal, Lord. Let it make, it make it a staple of our life every day. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.